0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risks to our country. Freedom brings
0: people together.
1: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more
0: at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spengel. You're listening to episode 311 of We Are Libertarians, recorded on August 30th, 2018. Today I'm going to be talking to Todd Moore, who is an app developer and a free-thinking individual. We're going to talk about some of the ethics of building social platforms. We're going to talk about patent trolls, and we're also going to talk about uh, how he became a libertarian. He literally we say taxation is theft, but he literally got stolen, uh, had his money stolen by the government. So I think you'll love the story. Stick around to the end, and we'll see you here in just one moment. Warning, this show is for adults, produced by semi-adults.
1: So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I
0: said, uh- Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle welcome to the show everybody again my name is chris Spengel, and i thank you for joining us here on the program um you know i don't know todd very well so i didn't make him sit through the intro uh so just a a quick announcement up front uh thanks to everybody who is uh subscribing to the podcast and listening i'd love you to go listen to the chris spangle show I put uh, it in your feed yesterday. I thought I had a really good breakdown of a media segment, so I want you to get a taste of that. Go subscribe over wherever podcasts are subscribed to, and uh, sign up for our email newsletter at WeAreLibertarians.com. Every night at 9 o'clock, you're going to get an email digest of everything that was posted on the website that day, uh, including all of the massive amounts of links and everything. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Todd Moore. Wow, that stopped really suddenly. <laughs> All right. Here's the here's the conversation. And make sure you stay towards the end, too, because the last story that he tells is so, so good. It's red meat for libertarians. All right. Joining me now on Skype is Todd Moore, someone that I have heard for years on one of my favorite, if not my favorite podcast, The Michael Mira Show. And uh, he's got his own podcast called The Tech 411 Show with Oscar Santana. And he runs a company called TMSoft, and I actually got in contact with Todd uh, recently when he hit me up and said, "Hey, I've got this new mobile app that is a podcast player called PlayaPod, and I'd love for you to check it out." And this is not an advertisement. This is I, I, we got to talking about other stuff, and I wanted to talk to him about various uh, ethical stuff in software, and also a little bit about a story that he's got that libertarians are going to go, "Oh wow, this is this is red meat." Uh, So, Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. So, let's tell the people who you are. You're you're probably, your most famous app is an app that I actually use all the time. Uh, It's called something called White Noise, the White Noise app. I use um, brown noise mixed with kitten
1: purrs. (laughs) (laughs) Kitten purrs, that's a new one. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, an app. It's one of the first apps I ever wrote 10 years ago, and it's what I'm best known for. Uh, because it's helping millions of people sleep better at night. And uh, brown noise, uh, believe it or not, that's one of the most popular sounds uh, out of all the thousands of sounds that I've created. Brown noise is uh, its similar to white noise, which is like static, but it's uh, got some really deep frequencies, a lot of bass, so it sounds more like a waterfall. A lot of people use it.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of pulsate. It's just very mellow. And, and it's it's really nice mixed with the kitten purse. Um, <laughs> so what are some other apps that you've created?
1: Well, the Playapod that you mentioned. And uh, I've always been into audio, I guess you could say. That's why I wrote White Noise. And Playapod is uh, how I listen to my podcast. And that's my most recent app that I've created because I was just getting frustrated with all the different... Uh, podcasting apps. And originally, the, uh, I had an iPhone, I switched to Android. But when I was on iPhone, I, I did not like what Apple was doing to that app. Um, they just made it more and more uh, difficult to use. And uh, that's what ultimately inspired me, I guess, to, uh, to create my own
0: yeah, that's a that's a cool skill. Like if I'm really frustrated with this thing, I'll just make my own thing. <laughs> and we'll talk. Pod, I mean, everybody obviously is listening on a podcast app. So right. I, I agree with you. I think the Apple podcast app is so confusing. And iTunes in general, I think they just have totally missed the mark with some of it. Um, I have mentioned before that I've used the downcast app. I've been using Playapod for about the last week. And I, I really do enjoy it. Like what was like, what was your philosophy behind building the app?
1: The progress bar, Um, when Apple updated the podcast, their podcast app for iOS 7, that's when they went all modern and trendy. They reduced the progress bar down to this like thin, beautiful little line, and it went edge-to-edge on the screen. You could never grab it. You could, It was so hard to navigate. It was so hard to know what you've listened to, and they made it look really pretty. And this is something that Apple does a lot. They make really pretty things. At the cost of functionality, and that drives me crazy. Uh, nothing went wrong with making things look look nice and shiny and, and great and and pleasant to the eye. But as soon as you start adding uh, additional clicks or additional taps in order to do a task that you that you that previously was easier to do, that's when you've you've uh, gone off the deep end. And I think Apple kind of did that when when they updated their app. And my biggest thing has always been, I just want to know what I've listened to. And and if I fumble the phone or I drop it and it accidentally skips to the end or the beginning, I want to know and I want to be able to visualize what I've already listened to. No other app really does that. Um, they They all show you where you left off, but nobody shows you the exact areas that you've listened to. And that was all I wanted to solve. And that was the first thing I wrote was the progress bar.
0: That's cool, yeah, and thank you for featuring the Chris Spangle show. I saw that in there, and I I do appreciate the the plug there. Absolutely, nice. yeah. So i I wanted to have I wanted to have you on and talk because you and I both listen to No Agenda as we mm-hmm. as we uh, found out while setting this up, and I was listening to it a couple of weeks ago, and they played a clip from someone named Marco Arment who originally created Instapaper and has created a lot of services. And he's behind the popular Overcast app, and the Overcast app I think is okay. I I, I was not blown away by it. I had stuck with what I what I had have basically been using for a decade. But in this clip, uh, which I, I won't replay for the sake of time, he essentially talks about how he was getting messages from various people saying that, why do you support Alex Jones? Why do you have him in your directory? Uh, And so he thought about it and he's like, you know what, you're right. Why am I supporting hate speech? And Which hate speech is a totally nebulous term. And Mm -hmm. ended up removing him from the directory along with an NRA podcast. And so I felt it was important to say to my podcast listeners, you know, here's somebody that doesn't share your values necessarily, who feels that it is his job to censor content. Um, and, and I have no idea what you're going to say, so I, I'd hate to put you on the spot here. But when you're building something like a podcast app, what is your philosophy behind the content that goes into it and what ethical concerns do you really... Like, when you're putting together apps in general, how do you think about the ethical use of these various services? That's kind of a, an esoteric question, so I hope you get what I yeah. mean. But I think he's he's clearly playing editor with some of it, and I wondered why would somebody do that, and what what would your response be to someone that said you're supporting hate speech?
1: Yeah, that you know that's that's tough, and fortunately, I haven't had to go through that specific example. Um, I get a lot of emails from customers, and I tend to um, make sure there's a pattern. Of, of, you know, not just one angry person, because you're always going to have one angry person out there that is upset over something. And if I listen to every single one of those kind of one-off things, I think the the applications that I write might get pulled in, in a direction that would that would upset more users than not. And I think in that kind of case of Alex Jones, and I don't believe he's hate speech. I've always just thought of him as kind of a conspiracy theorist entertainer. So I don't, personally, I don't see what the big deal was. Um, If you (laughs) hate him, just don't listen to him. I was listening
0: to his show yesterday uh, before we started. And man, is he off the rails. Like he's talking the the interdimensional shape-shifting alien stuff. It's like he's not been a part of public discourse for so long in the first place. Like, if you share an InfoWars link, everybody pounces on you for sharing an InfoWars link.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and that to me, it's like, I, I, I don't know what... I, I think I'd have to get a lot of requests to have uh, a certain podcast. Or, I, or I'd have to listen myself and make my own judgment on it. And that's what I always try to do especially with the media today is i don't just take someone else's opinion that i hear online or hear in the news like I, if something's really going to anger me and i'm going to get upset I, i'm going to want to dig a little further to to make sure that you know it's it's entirely truthful and, and to be honest i didn't even listen i've never really listened to alex jones and as soon as this story came out where he was censored on all these different platforms, and it was more than just iTunes, uh, Mailchimp. So now he can't even send a newsletter. It was like they all uh, This is a Pornhub. <laughs>
0: it was literally fifteen services within about twenty four hours. Spreaker,
1: iHeartRadio, all these different services. L- LinkedIn, and it's like, right. what? Don't you want him to have another job? <laughs> right. Like, what are you doing? And that's what really scared me. Was this? Uh, it was coordinated. What What happened? And and to me, that's the scariest thing. Um, and it, cause it wasn't and the only company that said, no, we're not gonna do it was Twitter. And I'm not sure why they, they eventually uh, kicked them off for a little bit, but, um, that, that's scary to me. I'm, I'm not, uh, digging this censorship stuff that, that seems to be happening more and more. Um, and I don't really know what the best solution is. And I, and it to, I think it, it comes down to, and I've always felt like, uh, it, the, the, your biggest vote in life is what you spend your money on, uh, and I believe that uh, politically as well. Um, and and I think when you're in these situations, do you really want to support those platforms if you don't agree with with that censorship, or do you want to find other platforms that are that are. Um, uh, not going to censor the shows that you want to listen to or the politics that you want to listen to. And I think things have just gotten a little little out of hand. Uh, so with Playapod, I, I, I'm not censoring anything, but I do use the public API for iTunes, which, which is basically using their podcast directory. Um, and I know Marco does that as well because it's so easy to do and it's always just worked great. And it's a and it returns results in a, in a good order, uh, putting the most popular at the top. Um, and I did that initially because I didn't want to invest the time in building my own database and my own solution and going around the internet collecting all these different shows. So, well,
0: it's also a negative for you from a user experience because if I'm in there googling my favorite podcast and it's not in there because you don't you're not aware of it. I mean I I give I keep a list of libertarian podcasts at libertarianpodcast.com and I've got four like 300 maybe 400 and every time I share it I get another one going why am I not on this list I mean and that's such a mm-hmm. very narrow specific Thing, I mean, that would be really hard, I think, to build your own directory.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if we, you know, I'm a small business, so I do most of the software development. I, I have another developer that helps out, mostly works on the Android side, and I do the iOS side. And so, I mean, we're a business of five people, so you want to save time. Um, and so, if you can use open source code, that's great. If you can use these, Uh, these public directories like yours or Apple, like that just saves a lot of time. And you can focus on the things you want to really do, which is for me was that progress bar and how you can display what you've listened to. So it's all about like cutting corners and saving time. And um, but now, you know, after all this has happened, it's like, well, we kind of need uh, can we trust Apple with that data? Can we trust these big companies with, with, a, with an open podcast directory? And I know from No Agenda, uh, Adam Curry is looking into creating this open, open directory. And I hope someone does, because I would prefer to plug into that.
0: Is this awakening you to maybe there's a problem and I want to do something different? Or have you had like a long, deep set? I want to support the First Amendment and I'm going to take some risks. I mean, where are you kind of at on
1: that spectrum? That's a great question because um, I have to operate under the rules of the app stores and that's the other issue So when you create an app, I have to follow Apple's guidelines and when I publish on, on the app Store and I and then when I go to the Google Play Store I got to follow their guidelines and I have really good relationships with both both Apple and Google and I certainly w- would not want to jeopardize that in any way. So it puts me in a in a bad spot because I want to I want Alex Jones to be in my directory because I think I think it was unfair. I think he was uh, he's been bullied out of all these platforms and I don't like bullies. And so, you know, but then I have to weigh that with, well, will that upset you know the platforms I've published my apps on my own apps and could that be uh could the, could I get kicked out of the app store which would basically ruin my company right so it that's the tough tough thing that I have to figure out you know how how far do I want to go and you look at you know uh social networks like gab who's been kicked out of all the stores and it's it becomes really difficult then to get visibility and for people to find your application. So you got to find the right balance.
0: I was listening to an interview with uh, the publisher of the Philadelphia Inquirer, and he was basically saying we had all we have such big overhead because of the printing and the delivery and all that goes into it. You know, we have a third of the audience of Sean Hannity, for instance, but we have quadruple the overhead. And so when we moved into Philly dot com and a digital strategy we 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 relate to the game because then all of a sudden social media came in and we were getting thirty dollars per ad spot now we're getting a dollar per ad spot because they had such targeting mm. built into all of their different uh, various ad buckets that was on uh, the Michael Smirconish program today and I thought that was really interesting I mean i I've I know you build games for instance. Has there been the temptation so at work you know connected to a, a big media company they they now will buy you know location data essentially and a lot of it comes from games or addicting type apps you know you have a game called compulsive that I really like I, I spend a lot of time on compulsive. Has there been the temptation to throw location services on that? you know the consumer won't really notice. But then I can track some of that data and then sell that to a reseller and make some extra cash. I mean, where, yeah. where are some of those ethical concerns? How do, you, how do you work that out in your mind?
1: Yeah, see, I, I, I kind of value people's privacy. So when I wrote all my video games, I didn't want your email address. I didn't want your location. I just wanted to focus on making a fun game. And the hope was, you know, through in-app purchases or a few banner ads that I could put in there, you know, it would help pay for the development costs. It's probably why I no longer make video games, because I really believe you. you if you really want to make money, you have you have to do so much. Um, and what it what it ends up being is you become a analytics company uh, because you have to know. Every little thing about what your customers are doing, you have to analyze all the different pathways they've taken through the video game. Where are people dropping off? Where are they coming back? Where are they spending money? And th- it's just a massive amount of analytics that's going on that helps the game developers produce a piece of content that will yield the most money out of you. And it's, it's really that scientific. And to me, I i was just bored. I'm bored by that stuff. I just wanted to make video games. You know, I wanted to make fun video games and not spend all my time Trying to get figure out who my customers were and figure out what they're doing exactly and how I can monetize them in the best way possible and get the most yield and this and that. It's it's kind of you if you knew what I did, you probably wouldn't even play these mobile video games because that's what it's all about. It's all about figuring out how to squeeze people the most uh, to keep them inside your app the longest. And how do we get the most money out of them? And I, I don't know. It's just I always looked at it like I just want to create something fun, you know? Right. Um, and, I, and I don't think um, that's kind of what, what the video games – where where we're at today with video games because it's all very very analytical and uh it's a little scary when you think about
0: it. Well, I I just get f- so frustrated that I don't have enough gems for Kingdom Rush and I've probably given whatever the head company of that is I've bought somebody a car over the last, you know, (laughs) five, six, seven years. I mean, and it is, it's so like you, there's a feeling of frustration. You're like, Oh, I want to do this thing, but I can't. And they're going to let me if I buy this thing. And yeah, it does. And in hindsight, it does feel really manipulative and gross.
1: It is. And it is. And it's all about dopamine. It's all about, you know, that feeling you get that high you get when you're playing. And, uh, I don't know. I, I obviously wasn't very good at, at that part of the business. I've never been, I I don't even like, I don't want people's information. And so, you know, I just want to make apps that people like and, and find useful, but it's really tough though. It's tough because all of my, uh, I would say the majority of all my revenue that I've made has come from free apps. And of you know of the free apps, it's all advertising. It's not in-app purchases. That's a very small percentage. So same with paid apps, a very small percentage. And I I always pay for apps because because of the the truth is. When you don't pay for an app and there's advertising in there that does two things to your phone. It burns up your battery and it burns up your network. And you're obviously giving private information about yourself. Um, They're figuring out who you are and what you're doing and what kind of ads work best um, for you. And all of those things combined, I think it's worth paying 99 cents and just having zero ads. Your battery and your network connection will thank you for it.
0: Yeah, I think I paid for the white noise because I just don't want the ads. And and I figure somebody somewhere is building this thing and probably has a company and wants to, you know, take their significant other out to a meal and (laughs) it's 99 cents. And so if I'm going to use this, you know, several times a week, why not support that creator? Um, So does it concern you the some of the things that people like Sean Parker have come out and said about the manipulation of your brain. You mentioned dopamine uh, in building of not only social networks, but a lot of what we see on our phones. I can I can tell you that since I got my phone in 2010, when I got the iPhone, I have much harder... Uh, I, I don't read as well. My attention span isn't as good. I don't feel as connected to people. I'm less happy. I mean, have you thought about that from a developer perspective and what is your perspective on the way that these phones change our brains?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, ju- you just look outside when you're driving and, and people aren't even looking where they're going anymore. They're, they're staring right at their screens. Um, they're totally addicted. And these these apps are kind of like different drugs that are competing for your attention. And, you know, Google and Apple... Uh, I think, have have realized how unhealthy this is. And so now they're baking into the platforms. You know, they're letting you know how, how much time you're spending in each app. And they're trying to help. Like, they're trying to help the addictions that they, in fact, created <laughs> with these platforms. And that's kind of kind of where we're at right now. I saw, uh, on the, you,
0: yeah, when I logged onto YouTube, I got a notification like, hey, track your time on YouTube and see how much time you're watching yeah. YouTube.
1: Yeah, that's where we're at right now. They realize that they've created something unhealthy and they're going to throw more technology at it to fix the problem.
0: Like, did you realize this sooner than other people because of your
1: business? Well, again, uh, if you look at my apps, uh, like White Noise, uh, you use it eight hours a night, but you're sleeping. So you're not actually, you know, usually interacting with the White Noise app. And when you're using Playapod, um, you're you're usually uh, either being entertained or you're trying to learn something as it's, um, you know, strictly an audio app. So, you know, those are the apps that people use the most. Uh, like you said, I did a bunch of video games. Um, which were not as you know successful for the reasons you know I just I just listed, but uh, I think for the most part I, I I like building apps that truly are useful and and help people, and I, I think that's I don't know I guess that's always been my goal. Even though the video games, you can say I don't know how that helps people. It entertains you, uh, it's fun. Um, Sometimes but, you just
0: need a mindless distraction for a second, take your mind yeah. off of whatever you're worrying about, but. Yeah the the reality is that if you want to be successful you kind of have to have to be a dirtball person <laughs> in in this world like I feel like what, I guess
1: that's what I'm saying
0: yeah like and I was talking to somebody else about that today this friend was just going off like why don't I just steal from the government and steal from my company and my I I just I've noticed this trend that maybe you know the whole Atlas Shrugged idea is coming true where producers are just going why am I producing what's the point of it. You know, because if you do get too successful, it's like the problem for Alex Jones is that Alex Jones had a great life and a good company, and then Donald Trump won, and then he started getting attention because people can't accept the fact that Hillary Clinton is awful, and so he's now too successful, and we've got to tear him down. I mean, you've actually tasted a little bit of that yourself with patent trolls, haven't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and early on with my White Noise app, I got targeted... By a Patent Troll, which is nothing more than a shell company that uh, was run by a lawyer who gets some patents and then sues a bunch of people. Um, like in the case of White Noise, they they said that a hyperlink that I had in my app was violating their patent. And I'm talking you know, the <laughs> hyperlink, you click on this, it takes you to the internet. How can you have a patent on a <laughs> hyperlink? It doesn't make any sense. And so I, you know, so, when you get these kind of... Let me yeah, pause. Yeah. Just so we're clear,
0: it wasn't any kind of specific link. It was literally just the fact that you were using the hyperlinking technology that got you uh, run afoul of these people.
1: Well, it was a little more specific. It was a link. So it was in the free app and it was a link to the full version, which was 99 cents. And you would click the hyperlink and it takes you to the app store. So pretty much a hyperlink. But the way they looked at it is they said, well, we own the patent on that process. And so their whole demand letter was like screenshots of the app store, clicking the buy button in the app store and I'm like, wait, most of this is this is all Apple. What are you doing? You know that doesn't make any sense, uh, but they're not going after Apple. They're going after the small guy
0: so how did you resolve that?
1: well uh when when you're a small business and you get a demand letter, most people just go, uh, I'm gonna ignore it because. You could hire a lawyer right there, and you could you could spend a ton of money and and issue a response and and come up with all the reasons why you're not violating their patents. But at the end of the day, they don't care. They're they're going to sue you no matter what. Uh, they just want money. In fact, they don't even really want to go to court. In fact, they never traditionally do go to court uh they send you a demand letter they say give us money and we'll go away it's extortion and if you don't they'll file a lawsuit and then they'll bleed you dry in discovery and you end up spending you know millions of dollars on a lawyer to defend yourself where it's they'll you know what they really want you to do is just give them some cash and they'll go away and that's their whole you know business model and it's disgusting it's it's Total extortion, and it's happening more and more now uh, because it's so lucrative for people to do this. And and I and I would meet other CEOs because I really got involved in this, and I learned as much as I could. And it, it wasn't just me. It's just everyone is being attacked, small, medium, and large. Uh, it used to be just the big guys, you know, the apples and the Samsungs suing each other for billions of dollars. That's no longer the case. They go after small guys too. Um, so, what happened? How did I get it? Get out of it? They did file a lawsuit in the Eastern District of Texas. This is where all the patent trolls like to file their lawsuits. Um, it was such a frivolous lawsuit. I actually had a uh, a lawyer represent me pro bono, oh. and it's probably the first time ever in a patent <laughs> lawsuit to be represented uh, pro bono, especially in a mobile app business. Um, so he got involved, um, ended up writing a response and talking through the patent trolls. And the interesting thing is. When he spoke to, because I never spoke to these guys on the phone, these jerks, so, but he did. And he was like, Yeah, they were even kind of confused why they sued me. And it seemed like it was personal. And that's why they sued me. Uh And and so the only thing I could think of is, you know, I do that uh, podcast called Tech 411. We discussed this patent troll on that show. Oh, Uh, it, it was like one of the first episodes. And at the time, my podcast was being featured on iTunes. It was getting tons of downloads. Uh, Mike O'Mara was promoting it and, and it had a lot of it. So again, I had a target on my back for white noise I had a target on my back for having a popular podcast at the time. I don't know what it was. I don't know if they were coming at me because they thought white noise was making a ton of money or if they actually listened to the podcast I was on where I was throwing them under the bus, but one of those reasons is why they ended up filing the lawsuit. But in the end, um, they realized I had a pro bono lawyer. They realized I was going to fight because why wouldn't I? He's free. Um, but, you know, in, in even Marco even mentioned this because um, he, he read my blog article and he was like saying this was only, the only reason they dismissed the lawsuit is because I had a pro bono lawyer. So there was no real solution to the problem. I got out of it because you know my lawyer was working for free, and that's what their lawyers are doing, right? Their lawyers work for free; they're they're working to get some percentage of of uh, you know all of these extortions that are going on, and they're sending out thousands of letters to lots and lots of
0: so lots because of people. because there was no churn, you know, and and I and I say that in that lawyers, if you hire a lawyer and they hire a lawyer, what happens? I've seen this in friends' divorces. I fortunately didn't have to have one of mine, but the lawyers start getting together and just churning money, and they just they chit chat all the time and then bill you for it, and you know, and it just so that's unbelievable. So because there was no profit motive, they they weren't interested.
1: Yeah, well, they they agreed. And they they tried to get some money out of me. They're like, why don't you just give us a few thousand bucks? We'll go away. And then they came back at half the price. And then they came back and said, well, how much will you pay? Uh, How much will you give us? And I said, nothing. I'm going to pay you nothing. And they go, "Okay, that sounds good. And we ended up getting it dismissed. See, most of the time what they do is when they get something out of a company, they make you sign an NDA. And so you can't talk about it anymore. You've, huh. you've been censored from talking about it. And so we really don't know how how serious this problem is because most of these companies, they have no other option but to settle and sign an NDA just to keep their companies alive. So the problem really is much bigger than I think everyone thinks it is. That's
0: horrible. How is How has no one solved this? Because obviously it's using the law to punish people. It's lawfare. So there should be a legal remedy to it. How has no legislator, federal or you know, even in the states, I mean, have there been
1: discussions about fixing this oh, or yeah. oh, yeah. fixing and, that particular court? And this is when it gets interesting because I spent my whole life uh, not not being political at all, like not getting involved in politics. And so when this happened, which was about five years ago, um, Bob Goodlot here in Virginia, he actually created uh, some legislation called uh, the Innovation Act. And it was a pretty good bill, and it plugged many of the holes that these patent trolls use. And so I was uh, I ended up getting invited uh, to testify before Congress and to share my story uh, with everyone. And so I started getting involved and I started, Uh, meeting with lots of different senators and congressmen and telling my story. I I mean, I was going down on the hill uh, a lot, and we were going to get this bill passed, and that was the goal. And everybody was on board, and it felt great because this was really my first time I ever advocated down on the hill for anything – and everybody was listening, and everybody wanted to solve the problem. And then, right at the end, when it was time to, to bring it to vote, uh, it was shut down. It was killed. Um, and I and I didn't understand why. And it was Harry Reid who who killed it and said we can't get the votes for this. When but it was so it made me so mad because everyone was on board this was bipartisan everybody wanted to solve the problem we're gonna fix it we we had this is a great bill we're coming together you know this was before trump and you know where you know people were still working together on the hill to, to find solutions and and so that really was was eye-opening and then i spent the next the year after uh, doing the rounds down there on the hill. And, and and to be honest, Chris, I never even once thought, is this person a Democrat or is are they a, a Republican? Didn't care. Didn't even really know the difference, to be honest with you. Um, and now I do. Like, it was just so eye-opening. The Democrats were all against it, but they were all for it. And the Republicans were, have always been for it. And trying to figure out what happened um, has has been really eye-opening. It really has. Who got paid what, where? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, it turns out um, Big Pharma was against it. Hmm. Big Pharma was against the Innovation Act. They thought, um, from their perspective, that it would weaken the patent system. and, And in turn, because they have a lot of patents, they you know, research, um, spend a lot of money on drugs and researching drugs, and they patent these things. And, you know, patents are good for 20 years. They get a monopoly on a drug. I mean, they don't want their current business model to be weakened. And I totally understand that. I get it. But really, I, I didn't see how the this applied to them, because it was this was really about stopping frivolous lawsuits. It wasn't stopping or weakening the patents. I thought it improved the strength of the patents. I'm a guy who, you know, I'm, I'm listed on five or six different patents. I know how the patent system works and I understand um, it, how it can be beneficial. I, I think today the patent system has gotten out of hand. I think there's just so much crap. There's, it, they, there's so many vague patents, just like in the hyperlink example I gave earlier. There's, there's, so many patents that are just like, all right, this computer talks to this computer and says to do this one thing. And they make, they write these things really vague so that you can just use any patent to sue anybody now. And that's the real problem we have. We have a quality problem in our patent system and it should be, you know, to have a patent, it should be unique and non-trivial and, and, you know, it's not these patents are getting approved and you're just like what a- taking a photo with a white background that's a patent how did amazon get that patent <laughs> so now amazon can sue anyone who shows a product on their website and uses a white background that's a real patent it doesn't make sense and you got the one click thing's probably everyone's heard of the one click patent that amazon had that everyone freaked out about a long time ago but it's just these obvious things are getting patented and it should be difficult to get a patent, but it's really not. It,
0: it's like Adam Carolla basically wrung the. He got one of these letters, and they basically said, "You know, we own RSS feeds, <laughs> or something." Yeah. Lo- it wasn't RSS yes. feeds, but it was media a lot about that. Yeah, it was media enclosures in RSS feeds, I think. And so he came on our on my day job show. He went on on the tour and basically fought these guys, and I think ended up winning. But it was sc- it, yeah. it was scary because it's like you know I just have a podcast I'm just a dude I mean at the time I was making I was spending so much money I was not making any money and it's like if I get one of these letters I'm just gonna have to stop doing my podcast
1: yeah you either have to shut it down or or pay some money um, and they yeah I'm pretty familiar with the podcasting patent as it as it became known and I contributed to that the EFF was you know they they. Helped Adam out, um, and I, they, we, that patent is finally gone. It's mm. been demolished, but it took years and years, and it took a lot of money um, to to get it voided. And and the patent itself was, uh, these guys came up with a way to create a playlist. It was all about the playlist. That's what the patent was. And they tried to make a product a long time ago where you would call in and go, okay, I want this, this, and this. And then they put it on a cassette tape and they mail it to you. So that's the patent. That's basically what the patent. They never made any money off the product, but they've been sitting on this patent for 20 years. You know, we're back in the cassette days. And it was about to expire. You know, you got a 20-minute, 20-year limit on the patents. So they go, well, let's let's just try to make some money. We got a couple years left on this thing. And they they sued, uh, yeah, they sued all these podcasts. And they said they are the creators of the playlist. And uh, they sued Apple. And Apple ended up paying them. Uh, so they got a lot of money out of Apple, and then they just went from there and started suing podcasters because what's an RSS feed? Well, it's basically a playlist, right? So, yeah, well, they own that now. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. but um, I know this is yeah. sort of
0: a weird question in light of the previous conversation, but, I mean, why doesn't Apple or these people with deep pockets like an Amazon, Apple, Google, or whomever, who are, are more uh, – they're a better corporate – they're a better uh, citizen – of mm-hmm. the United States than, than these patent trolls, okay? We may not think they're great, but at least they're much more transparent-ish. Why don't they just start buying up all, all these patents if they're getting dinged with, with these patent yeah. lawsuits all the time?
1: Yeah. And Google even started a program where they, they just wanted you to sell all, their, all your patents to them. Um, and that's the way that I mean that was their only solutions to date is well we'll just start buying them all up and of course there's these big patent clearing houses that make a ton of money that sit on you know thousands and thousands of patents that you can you can license so that no one will sue you uh, it's a huge money maker the the these patents owning patents suing people that may or may not violate your patent um, Newegg is a company, if you've heard of them, they sell like tech, tech gear. Yeah. They, they were v- extremely good about suing and, in defending themselves, not suing, but defending themselves against patent lawsuits. And, um, they, they figured out a cost effective way to do it and it really benefited them because, You know, as they always say their story, they they don't actually make anything. They just sell other people's stuff, but they're getting, you know, they've been through probably 20 different lawsuits about, you know, having a shopping cart. (laughs) And apparently if you have a shopping cart on your website, you're violating uh, thousands of patents out there. It's just that that particular concept has just been patented beyond belief. Uh, Same with putting a Google map on your website. People have been sued over that. Um, There's a patent for that and it goes on and on but these guys uh fought and it it became a better model for them uh and it's the, again you have to have millions and millions of dollars you got to have be, in order to fight these people uh and you usually don't see that money you don't get that money back either but what happens is is once you start defending yourself patent trolls are less likely to come sue you and that's the other side of the the coin that I didn't mention as soon as you settle with a patent troll, it's like you get put on a spammers list. And now you have all these other patent trolls coming after you going, oh, well, he's willing to pay money, so let's sue him too. And it really just opens the floodgates. and You're just never going to come out of that hole once it starts.
0: It's got to be public records. I After I got divorced, I had a, a couple months where I had some money issues and I got turned over to... I got sued by my apartment complex for for rent because it was like the 15th so they turned me over. So they filed a suit against me in small claims court. You go, you pay an extra 200 bucks, it's gone. But the week after that was filed, I started getting uber uh, uh, an order of magnitude of letters from lawyers <laughs> like mm. and all these different people because they just follow the court records of who's getting sued for what and just Mm -hmm. start sending out direct mail pieces. (laughs) So that's got to be what it is. They watch the court filings, and then they go, okay, vulnerable, 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 you know, and...
1: You know, it's it's funny. uh, You know how I got notified that I got sued? How? I had... I had a lawyer call me who wanted to represent me. Like I didn't even get the letter yet. (laughs) There was a guy who wanted to represent me because he just follows. He follows the court filings and, oh, this guy's getting sued. And that is how I got notified by some lawyer who wanted to represent me. And then a few days later, I finally got the official paperwork.
0: So you were on the Mike O'Meara show and you were in the beautiful studios. What are the studios in D.C.
1: called? Uh, the Podcast Village,
0: yeah, it's beautiful and yeah. uh, it looks great, and it's it's every podcaster's dream what they've built there. And so I was watching you on that, talking to Mike O'Meara, who is a who who has a show called Political Persuasions. He's a very left leaning fellow, mm-hmm. and uh, he you were on, and you're he was like, why are you? I forget what was going on, but I don't know your politics, and you don't seem to me to be liberal or even conservative or even libertarian. You seem just to be like a very independent-minded person. I don't know where you would consider yourself on the spectrum.
1: Uh, uh, I like to think I'm just open-minded, and of course, I've I've voted both Democrat and Republican. I know a lot of people probably are like one way or the other, and I've always been that way, but um, yeah, I'm... I'm uh, uh, it, this whole patent thing has been just eye-opening. And, and I know we're getting to this story that I told <laughs> on the Mike O'Mara show. And, you know, that, that kind of makes me not want to have government in my life. It makes me not want to have big government, which I think kind of leans towards the libertarian way. Because, uh, to be honest, I think Republicans and Democrats want big government at this point.
0: Yeah, and so he he is a very well-meaning individual like most Americans who think that government does good things for people and he thinks that if he elects Democrats then the world will get better because they're well-meaning and government is, you know, shared and blah blah blah. And so he yep. was mentioning that, you know, you if, you if you have an opinion on social media, people are going to fight with you. And he was just saying, sometimes I want to unfollow you because you <laughs> yeah. have a different opinion than him. And he's like, where does this anti-government sentiment come from? And then you told a story. That I, I was at a local restaurant listening uh, forever alone uh, to this podcast, and I, my mouth was hanging open. I was like, I've got to get him on. I've got to get him to tell the story because it's, <laughs> it, nobody creates libertarians better than the government of the United States <laughs> or state yeah. governments. So, oh. so it goes all the way back to when you were an investor, I was, and I'll let you tell the story.
1: Well, yeah, a stock market investor. Um, so, a friend of mine. This was before. This happened before. TMSoft. I, I started an, another company with a couple friends, and my friend came to me and he was he's a very smart guy, PhD engineer, has a ton of different degrees, and he brought me this chart and he said, "Hey, I've come up with an algorithm." that if you tr- uh, if we implement this if you took $1 and invested it in the stock market it would be worth $1 billion today 5 years later mm. so that's what you call backtesting and and you're basically coming up with a with an algorithm that will trade the market on your p- behalf and it's really a cool idea because you you're not you take you remove the human decisions out of out of trading and it's all algo based and I was like, sold. I was like, this looks fun. I want to code this up. So we started a company. We, we uh, were in our 30s. We didn't, uh, we, none of us were married. None of us had kids. And we're just like, all right, let's throw a bunch of money in. We got some savings. Let's just throw equals, equal amount in. There was three of us. And we kind of seeded our own company. We didn't get outside investors or anything. And I wrote the code. And so, every morning, my code would wake up and it would trade the stock market, and it was exciting man. It was like you see you would see it go up, you'd see it go down and have these big swings and that's how we, I
0: felt with uh, Bitcoin for about three months this summer. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I hope you didn't buy too high.
0: Oh no, I bought I bought a little high and sold very high, and then was glad about it. But uh, oh, I, I made like true. 150 bucks. But yeah, I, but I get the feeling, I get the rush.
1: Uh, I and you know, as being a tech guy, one of my friends called me. He's like, "Hey, I bought in at fifteen thousand dollars. I think it was a good idea." i was like, "I don't think so. <laughs> get out." And sure enough, it just kept tanking. But uh, yeah, I never got, I never bought any of the Bitcoin. But so this, this was, uh, this, this program I was writing, it was making, you know, tons of trades all throughout the day. Uh, We ran it for a good couple months and, you know, it's, it was making a little bit of money and it was just exciting and fun. And one day I woke up to check on the software, to check on the program and, I realized it aired out because there was no funds in the account, and it was very confusing. I logged into the brokerage account, and it was a $0 balance, and there was no real indication of what happened. There was a small transaction, well, big transaction, like, basically all the money, you, there was one transaction where it was just all taken out. And it didn't say where it went. It had a little memo that just said C-support, letter C-support on it. And so I called uh, all my partners and I said, hey, did you take the money? Did you take the money? No, no. Uh, Then I called the brokerage. I'm like, what happened? Where's the money? And they're like, yeah, this is really weird. We got got served by the government to seize all your assets. The government seized all your assets. And the C-support stands for child support. And I'm like, what? This is a company. The companies don't have kids. uh, And there's three of us. What's going on? And did any of you have kids? No. No kids. Never married. Uh, The government just seized all the assets, and the only reason they gave was child support. So they're like, yeah, we thought this was strange. Uh, There's nothing we can do. The state of Texas you know seize the assets you have to call the attorney general uh there and to discuss it and so i called them and the guy uh on the phone was like yeah this was really weird uh this came from the state of west virginia and there was nothing we thought it was kind of strange uh but we there's nothing we could do we just have to seize the assets and give it to west virginia so then i finally after many phone calls get a hold of child support services in West Virginia. And she she goes, yeah, um, we seize the assets because the account owner matches the social security number of this deadbeat dad. And I'm like, what? <laughs> This is a company. This is an EIN number, right? Because with a company, you have an EIN number. It's a nine-digit number. Uh, People have Social Security numbers. It's a nine-digit number. Right. But the dashes are in different places. Well, guess what? In the government database, uh, where they track all this, it's just a number. There's no dashes. There's no way for them to tell a company from a person. So they thought this account, this stock trading account... Was a deadbeat dad's account that owed money for now, child
0: support. Can I ask how much money was taken out of the account? Uh,
1: um it, it was around forty thousand, I think. Oh boy, he so, was really he was really deadbeat. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's the other thing is is um, the lady from West Virginia, the the child support services lady. She said, you know, um, that this guy was an out of work roofer. <laughs> And he, she told me a lot about these people, and it's just like, well, why in the world would you think an out of route, uh, out of work roofer would own a, like a stock trading account? Like, why does that not concern you? Does that make sense? And especially, it was in Texas. This guy lives in West Virginia. Uh, is that strange? She's like, yeah, a little bit. And I was like, well, does this happen a lot? Does this particular thing happen where you mix up people and companies? And she goes, well, more than you w- would care to know. Oh, and, you know, it's like unbelievable. They can't tell the difference between a company and a person. They're just pushing a button, Chris. I mean, she's pushing a button and seizing assets.
0: Now, but I also like that when you called, she gave you all of the information about the other person, too. Like, there's no regard for privacy either. Yes,
1: yes, yes. I was, uh, and of course it gets worse So you heard the rest of the story. But, um, so, the money was never distributed. And and thankfully, because if it was, I don't know if I would have ever got it back. I would have probably had this to sue the state of West Virginia. Uh, so luckily they still had the money and, and so it was safe and they were going to give it back to us. The reason they didn't distribute it right away to uh, the mother of these kids was because when they told her that this money existed, that this account existed and they were going to seize it, uh, both the mother and the father got <laughs> extremely excited. Even and the father even said, "Half of that money's mine." <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little bit of a red flag. Right? If, right. if it was really his money, he w- wouldn't be saying half of that money's mine. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> I, so, I I just
1: love that you know this. I love that they <laughs> told you all of this
0: and that just yeah. in that moment you must have been. I would have been. I don't know if I, at that point I would have laughed. I would have been furious, and then I would have laughed at that part.
1: Yeah, I can laugh at it now, Chris. Uh, <laughs> now that we got the money back, um, but then it gets it gets worse because I got the money back. They sent a bunch of checks, and and we deposited. We ended up shutting the company down. I, you know, I don't want to share I, mainly because like I don't want my company's EIN number to match this guy's number. Yeah. Uh, so we ended up shutting the company down. But here's the here's the craziest thing, talking about privacy. The lady gave up my information, gave up my name and my phone number. So guess what happened a week later in the morning when I was heading to work? Ring. I had a landline at the time. <laughs> this lady calls me up. The deadbeat dad's wife calls me on the phone and says, you don't know who I am, but I just want you to know that that money would have really benefited me and you know I've got 3 kids and I lost my job and I'm going to jail and I needed that money <sighs> and and I'm just like okay well this wasn't your money and she's like I know that and I was like it's not even my money it's a it's a company right it's a company with multiple people and she was like, I get that. I just wanted to ask you if I could have some money. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I was pretty furious. And, of course, I said no. Um, I mean, this this whole thing the ruined sob, this company, you know? The sob story about going to jail and three kids it, and the deadbeat da- didn't it didn't warm your heartstrings, did it? No, and uh, uh, this was my favorite phone number. So, of course, I had to disconnect that phone line. And so... Uh, all these things. I couldn't believe they violated my privacy. They gave up my name. They gave up my number. Um, and, and I ended up shutting down my company. Luckily, I got the money back. But it was eye-opening because how often does this happen? Or has it ever been abused? Um, and it was scary. That's when it really scared me that there's people in the government that have... All of our accounts listed, and by the way, I didn't tell you that part, she knew exactly the balances and all of, like, we had more than one bank account. She she said, oh, she goes, this bank account had this much, this one, the stock account had this much, and so we decided to just go for the one with the most money and not take the other one. And she read off the, and I was just like, this is crazy. So all of these people, the child support services, who knows however other, like, government agencies have access to this information, but it's just right there for everyone to see and they can just seize it without, you know, any kind of due diligence or double checking or asking if is it a company or who owns this account. They didn't ask a single question. They just seized the account. It's crazy. I wish I could say that
0: this is a mind blowing unique story to me. But doing what I do and having done this podcast for so long and then having previously worked for years in, in libertarian politics, I've heard stories like this on a monthly, sometimes weekly basis. I mean, it's just, it is, the government in, as an entity is its own worst enemy and it's full of well-meaning people. But at the end of the day, it's so incompetent and or just so mind-blowingly backwards that when you interact with it, there's a reason that our Facebook page has the the like the top four jobs are military, police officers, lawyers. Like it's all people and teachers, people who work for the government or work with the government. They just can't take it, and so of course they become libertarians. I mean, it's uh, so at any, that,
1: any child support services.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So at that point, did you? Did, I mean were you just like? Did you take the red pill at that point? You just started watching View for Vendetta all the time?
1: <laughs> no. Shockingly, I didn't get into politics. That wasn't enough. I mean, obviously, um, that, that taught me that I, I didn't like government. You know, it made it, the, the fl- red flag was there. Like, I don't like that the government has access to to this, this level of information? Does that mean my, and even today I'm like, is my money safe in my personal account? Could this happen again? If it's that easy to just have your, all your assets, do I need to like get a safe and put some cash in it? You know, these are all the things you think about. Like, what if this happened again? And like, you're just completely liquidated and you have zero. What, what would you do? Um, so it's a little scary.
0: And you think about Greece, for instance, when Greece just passed a law during all of the years of, uh, the bailouts and all that, they just took a haircut of like 15% of every person's bank account and Mm. they just passed a law. And all of a sudden, 15% of what was in your bank account was theirs and was withdrawn. So if you had a hundred dollars, they took 15. If you had a million, they took 150. I mean, it would just, and I may be wrong in that particular number, but I mean, if if you're in lean financial times, this is what states do. It's not, America's better, they'll never do that. It's, no, that's exactly how it works now. (laughs) Yeah. The idea of American exceptionalism doesn't apply to our government.
1: Um, It's scary. It's scary. And, you know, even before then, it's funny because now now that I've gone through that and I've gone through the, the patent troll stuff, you start thinking back to like earlier in your career and of course you know i'm in my 40s now and that, that's when i was dealing with the patent troll stuff i was in my 30s when i was dealing with the the big government taking over seizing my accounts and then in my 20s i i actually worked for the federal government and it's it, it's interesting because now that i think back on this i remember um getting in uh my manager brought me into her office and said, Hey, Todd, you know, this is federal government. She goes, uh, we've, we've coming up on the end of the fiscal year and we've got to spend this money or else we're going to lose it. And so this is, this is where I learned the term, you know, use it or lose it. That's how the federal government (laughs) operates. And she goes, yeah, we've got like a thousand or a million dollars. And I'm, I'm like 22 and she's like, (laughs) Do, do you need anything? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, we got this million. And I, at the time I was just like, wow, I would love to just buy all new computers and create a lab and just teach myself how to use all this stuff. It had nothing to do with like optimizing the government, making the government more efficient. I was just going to like buy a bunch of stuff and play with it. And thinking back to that, it was, you know, it was only a million dollars. Yeah. Right. But, Think about this was a small government department. Just think about like expand that over every department in the federal government. Man, we are wasting so much money. And so yeah. now I think back at that. At the time, I was just like, "Woohoo! Spend some money. It's not mine. Let's have fun." And now I think about it, and I'm like, "Man, that's just not right. We've got to we've got to fix this. Use it or lose it system. I think that's ridiculous." Yeah.
0: All right. Well, Todd Moore, tell the people where they can buy your apps. Uh, if you've got a website or social media, this is this is plug time. Tell the oh, tell the people how they can connect with you.
1: Yeah, if you just go onto your app store and search for TM Soft, uh, you'll see White Noise. You'll see Pod and. I'm working on those actively, and I would love for you to try them out. Maybe listen to your favorite podcasts, uh, the Chris Spangle Show, Libertarians, all of it. We don't censor. We don't censor any of it. You can add manual RSS feeds to play a pod. Um, really appreciate it. it's totally free. I don't even uh, make money off of it. No ads or nothing. It's kind of a passion project. And if you need to sleep better, check out the white noise app.
0: And as always, uh, you know brown noise and cat purrs. That's where mm, it's at. mix it up. That's right. <laughs> All right, Todd Moore, thanks so much for coming on the program. I really appreciate the time.
1: Thanks, Chris. Really enjoyed it.
0: All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for